Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ahoy, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Truth and Justice. You are listening to the Friday follow-up for Season 14, The Reply Briefs. This week, we heard the breakdown of the first half of Part 9 of the prosecutor's coverage against Adnan, which was Jay's first official police interview. There was a lot going on in this episode, and joining me this week to discuss all of it is Janet Varney and Bob Ruff. Alrighty. Uh, thanks, everybody. Just a uh, little bit of housekeeping before we get going today. want to let you guys know, for any of you that listen live on YouTube, Next week, or for the next three weeks, we're not going to be recording on Tuesday evenings. We're going to be recording on Wednesday afternoons. And then we'll have to see from there because I, if we continue doing that while Zach's coaching or how that's going to work. But for definitely the next three weeks, I might have said the time wrong last week. It was never really established whether I did or not. But the discussion definitely came up during the edit. We will be recording live on YouTube at 4 p.m. So we're going to start our pregame show at 3 p.m. Eastern time, and then we will go live on YouTube at 4 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday. Did I get that right, Janet? Sounds perfectly right to me. Okay. Why did That's you, why did you ask her? Why didn't you ask me? Uh, because she was the one texting me telling me that she was sure that I had messed it up last week, and you you probably weren't paying attention. Also, next week, speaking of Janet, Janet will be on assignment next week, so it's going to be just me and Zach. It's going to be the Bob and Zach show, a little Bob and Weave action for next week's Nice. Nothing wrong with that. And other than that, I think, oh, also for those of you that listen to the pregame show, which is the Patreon hour audio that usually drops on Wednesday, because of our change in schedule, that will drop probably Thursday next week because everything's just going to be kind of shifted for us to accommodate everybody's schedules so the pregame show next week will probably be out thursday live stream will be on wednesday janet won't be there the whole thing's going to be a horrible mess i think perfect we'll figure it out and then a couple i might as well just keep going right with these housekeeping things yes one of them i i I think i think a listener posted about it and so you'll have the details so we can touch on that janet if you can find it quickly but if you're listening to this live, if you're one of the, the people that are on YouTube right now, tomorrow, Wednesday, the 10th, Jamie Snow has his clemency hearing with the governor in order to try to grant him clemency to get him the hell out of that prison. Anybody listen to season seven, you know that Jamie is quite clearly innocent. The state pulled all sorts of tricks in his case, including hiding hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of documents. And the Exoneration Project's been working on his case for a long time. And I'm trying to just get him granted clemency. 
through the governor's office, and that is open to the public. So those details, they are pinned to the Facebook page as a featured post that have all the details. I don't know if, Jan, if you have real handy. Oh, hang on. It's right here. It's right in front of me. Jamie Snow's clemency hearing is tomorrow at 9 a.m. Central Time. It's in the Bloomington Normal area, I believe, uh, which is where the, the case was from. And again, the, the, the details, the address, all that is on the Facebook page. If you want to go and you need that information, feel free to reach out to me. It looks like you can reach out through Jennifer Hill or um, Tam Alex is her Facebook account that has all that information. But definitely be sending some good vibes his way because we're hoping that this could be Jamie's chance to go home. So hopefully that, that goes well. And lastly, on Patreon, we just finished the series finale of the Reply Brief series. And then the main feed, you guys are still about six weeks behind before we get to that point. But the people on Patreon have all said, awesome, this is great. And they want to know when we're going to start the next case. And the hope is that when we finish this series on the main feed, then I still want to do the episode with Bob Mata to come on and talk about it. And hopefully after that, we will start the new case. Where we're at with that, I talked to um, someone from the case selection team yesterday, and they have narrowed things down to where each individual researcher is doing a deep dive into a particular case to see which ones are going to make the final list. It was fun to find out when I, I sent them the case I'd mentioned a while back that Captain from True Crime Garage had sent me a case to look at that he that somebody reached out to him about that he thought was a good one. I looked it over, kind of a cursory look. It does look like it would be a good case. I sent that to the document selection team only to find out that that case was already one that they had in their final list. So uh, we're getting closer there. So the new season there should be coming out very soon. And lastly, for you patrons who are listening to this follow-up and wondering what's going on now that the reply brief is over on Patreon, we're still going to continue to put out content for you on Sunday. This Sunday you will have an option to either have the audio or the video or both of our How to Prove Adnan is Innocent in 30 Minutes or Left panel, the hour that we did at ObsessFest. So that will be that will come out in your, in your audio feed if you just want to listen. Uh, at the same time, at 6 in the morning on Sunday, it will come out also as a video if you want to watch it. So that will be available to you patrons. So that's what's coming out this week. And I think that is the end of the five minutes of housekeeping of stuff that we have to do. And with that being said, Zach, I was funny when I was listening to this episode, I was giving you instructions to listen to the prosecutors first. Clearly, I recorded that before you had already made the shift to listening to the prosecutors first. So I assume you did that. I did. I absolutely did. How'd it go for you? Uh, The switch went well since I've been doing it so far this season. Right. Yeah. You know, there, there was a lot there, again, not knowing a lot about this case and just moving through what I hear. I did listen to the full interview because I didn't listen to your episode first, like you told me. So I listened to the prosecutor's full episode. So I listened to both interviews. Going back and just trying to break down the first interview, there was a lot of stuff there that that really led me to believe that Jay was telling, maybe not necessarily telling the truth, but they were putting a lot of credibility into Jay based on little things that you brought up in your episode, such as the snow. You know, I didn't know there wasn't snow, but they talk about it a lot about the the light from the snow and the the all this stuff with the snow. I had no clue there wasn't snow. Right. So that was really interesting to me. The other thing is they spent a lot of time in my opinion trying to tell me the reason Jay's credibility is shaky is because he is in the criminal world. And that's the only witnesses they ever have are the people in the criminal world because 
no one that's good ever does anything or ever witnesses anything. So that's right. why his credibility is. Sh- and they just, I mean, it was like, I don't know how long of the episode it was, but it felt like a long time of the episode that they spent trying to convince me that Jay's credibility really isn't that bad. It's just that he's a criminal element. Yeah. Yeah. If it weren't for that, then there's no problems with all the stuff that he said. Yeah, exactly. So the other thing you brought up in your episode, again, that really surprised me that I did not think of, but they portrayed as totally feasible was the idea of the red gloves. Like, yeah, again, listening to their episode, they're like, Jay comes out and he's like, where the hell did you get those red gloves? Or why the fuck are you wearing those? Or whatever he, I don't know the exact verbiage he used, but whatever he Mm -hmm. said. And I didn't think much of it. I was like, oh, okay. You know, Jay's saying he saw him with red gloves. But then as you stated in your episode, did he make the phone call with the gloves? Did he put the gloves back on after he made the... I mean, there was a lot there with those gloves that I never really considered until you had brought it up. Right. And also just the way, and I think I brought it out in the episode, the way that conversation comes to be, how he's like moving on to the next thing, and then the detectives are like, oh, wait, 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 did anything else happen? And oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And he was he was wearing these red gloves, you know, when he came back out, you know, and, and then that came out like in the interview, if you read the transcript, it's like they do the whole interview. Then they shut the tape off. They turn the tape back on. Okay, Jay, is there anything else you want to have? Oh, yeah. I meant to tell you he was wearing these red gloves. So, yeah, that seems so real awkward. sketchy. That seems it's real sketchy so to awkward. me. Mm-hmm. What about the what about the probably thing? Because that, I mean, that's always been something that is, that's a tough one. But that is like, a, that really stands out in the yeah, episode that- for me. The like, he was probably da-da-da, like. Oh my God, that couldn't sound more hypothetical. Could not yeah. sound more hypothetical. Yeah, he was like, he probably would have been whatever, like calm and collected. And it's like, yeah. yeah. And that, for me, when I was like listening to it again and going and reading it, not just like reading it, but, you know, for its context, but doing a statement analysis, those are things I'm like, what do you mean he probably would have been? You were there. That's not how you describe something when you were there. Yeah, that's another one that, I mean, it's full of them. And the second interview, is even more it gets way worse because in the second as we as we discussed last week on the follow-up and and i've thought a lot about this since then Uh, i don't remember who asked the question but it kind of triggered this conversation about like well why do they keep sticking to the 345 time when it doesn't fit the call records and why do they stick with best buy when that doesn't fit when jay told a different story and to me like that that it it occurred to me during that conversation that it's well because if jen has a lawyer and is not, you know, as I said, playing the game. And she came in and just said, well, this is what Jay told me. And, and this is what time this happened. And this is how these things happen. They are stuck with that. So, uh, and that makes what you're going to hear next week, Zach, which I didn't really think about that part of it when I was doing the next episode, but but that's not in there. But it's like, you're, you're hearing, not only are they trying to change his story to match the records, they're also trying to change his story to better line up with Jen's because they can't change Jen's. While we're talking about Jen, real quick, last week's episode brought up a discussion on Facebook. Somebody made a long post about you know why they think Adnan's guilty and they can believe Jay or whatever. But through that conversation, they said Jen presented guilty knowledge because she said in her first interview that Hay was strangled. So she's showing guilty knowledge. And they had said that she said that she had told this Nicole person, remember Nicole from her interview from sure. a couple weeks ago. They said she told this Nicole person that Hay had been strangled. And I was like, no. And I went, I showed him, like, here's the report from the interview. It says she gave them no information. She gave them no useful information at all. And then they said, well, it was 
know it was from and, and Richard, who's in the chat here, was part of that conversation too, and, and did a real good job. He's actually the one that found the document. But they were they were like Richard said, no, it was it was mentioned in the pre-interview notes mm-hmm. in the handwritten notes from the twenty six or, or just the interview notes, not the report. And so we went through, and sure enough, there is a part in there where it mentions Nicole and being strangled. But what's interesting, and I'd never ever noticed this before till I read it, what it says. What Jen said in that first interview, it has written down, it says, Nicole said she was strangled. Now, remember, in her recorded interview, that changed to Nicole said that, you know, they or they found a body and she said to Nicole, if she was strangled, then it was, you know, it was Hay and, and Adnan did it or whatever she said. But in the original interview, it's, it says, Nicole said she was strangled. Remember, Nicole is the one who I believe like her mother worked at Lincoln Park or something. Hmm. But yeah, so it's just interesting. Like there's an obvious change there from what she said the first time to what she said recorded on the record after she had talked to to Jay in between there. And we don't get much more context. There was, yeah, I think, I think Richard was 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 trying to figure out like who was she? Maybe she was you know, the other person that they had found, you know, another body they'd found at Lincoln Park. I don't think so. It, it, it's a possible theory, but to me, that the whole conversation is about Hayes' murder, and right. she, and it just says Nicole said that she was strangled. So to me, like, and we don't know what the questions. There's no recording. There's no transcript. Mm-hmm. But it almost reads to me like, well, what do you know about this case? And if she's like, I, the only thing I know is is my friend Nicole. She had said that she was strangled. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So anyway, it's just interesting. Something to add on to the conversation from last week that that is a change that we see in Jen's. And I had never, I don't think I've ever looked at the handwritten notes. I think I'd only looked at the report that says she didn't give him anything and that she basically said, I don't know anything. And then when you look at the notes, there's a lot of conversation in there about Jay and then this, that little bit about Nicole saying that. And in the chat, Nick says Nicole's mom found a woman strangled in the park in 98. Yeah. Okay. So, so and that could be the person she was talking about because that's all, it doesn't say name. It just says Nicole said she was strangled. Or that it could just be a situation where, yeah, that that the conversation is happening about it, which makes more sense that you're not pulling. Like you said, a lot of the time, it's not that you're pulling a story from nowhere. Maybe there is some sort of grounding factor, like maybe that a conversation was had about this, but it was had from the context of I was talking to my friend whose mom works there. And Nicole said, I wonder if she was strangled because the woman that was that her mom found was strangled or something like that. And then in the into the police notes. It says Nicole says she was strangled. Like, you know, we don't know about their yeah. note taking skills. If anything, I think they've been called into question. So, yeah. So, so there's a lot, a lot we can glean from the notes and speculate about. But I think the overarching theme, the thing that we do know for sure is what she said that interaction was with Nicole the first time compared to the interaction with Nicole on the recorded record were two very different things. So that's just worth noting. Yeah. And Caroline also brought up there was that whole thing which I know Undisclosed went into as well, where Jen sort of fumbling a little bit, trying to, you know, say, I guess the right thing in a sense. But she's like, oh, yeah, I was so surprised that to, to hear that Hay was missing. And then the the police officer has to actually say, the detective has to say, well, you, you, you couldn't be surprised because you supposedly knew that she was deceased. Right. So why? Since the 13th. How are you? Oh, right. Yes, I was. Right. I wasn't surprised. Yeah. Yeah, like, exactly. Oh no. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'll just quickly say before we get too deeply into the questions themselves, just in terms of keeping on the same line of conversation that we've been having so much around this case and around other cases about false confection confections. I, I've said that before, haven't I? I guess I love candy yeah. about false confessions and how they happen. And also this idea of Jay being, you know, the criminal element or what have you. There is a, a great, very, very well reported podcast uh, called Ear Witness. And, you know, if you are a person who chases after these cases and listens to them and, and wants to help and wants to be incredibly infuriated by them, there won't be a ton of surprises. I don't think it's not about being surprised, but it certainly is validating a lot of what we talk about all the time with respect to what kind of community you're in, how that community is treated by police and what kind of power they have over you, perceived power they have over you and how you respond to it. And there's there's one quote from a, a young lady who was brought into the police, I want to say 25 times as their sort of star witness, as they massaged her story. And one of the things that she said was when because she recanted at one point and she said that she felt like every time the police came to her, she had to go with them, quote, like she was their property. And that just was it just was so disgusting. And it really made me think, again, notwithstanding Jay's activities and, and treatment of women and, you know, all the things that go into behavior in the future and all the stuff that, you know, can happen to you as a product of your environment, I, that really was chilling to me. And it just made me think about all those times that the police just kind of scoop somebody up and are like, you're the criminal element. We basically can do whatever we want with you. It's like we own you, right. which is a very very bad thing to feel, think, or say, especially if yeah. you're talking about people of color. So and it's also eye to that. just to see how it happens. And, and so that in that podcast is called Ear Witness. Ear Witness, uh, yeah. Yeah. And that is um from Lava, which is Lava for Good. Just, yeah. Yep. That's like Jason, eight episodes. Jason it's a quick listen. It's very much in the on the lines of of, you know, the kind of stuff that we talk about here and and I highly recommend it. It's shocking yet not shocking, if you know what I mean. 
I haven't heard that one yet, but I, I love everything that Jason and his organization have put out. So it's definitely something going to be on my list. So Zach, did you have anything re- else to add? Yeah, I, I would like to get back to Jay because the last 10 minutes we haven't talked about Jay. This episode's okay. about Jay. We're, we're supposed to be talking about Jay. I was um, talking about Jay in a <laughs> sense and being pulled in by the police and told what to say. So I'll tell you the thing that really was convincing to me in this episode is when Alice reconciles the the pool hall thing. The idea yeah. that there's these two pool halls and that Jay tells a story about the trunk pops at the pool hall. Again, I don't know. I'm just here, right? I'm just learning this case. But the way that Alice presents it, it's very convincing to me that like he says that there's, you know, that he saw the body at a pool hall and look where he says there is, there's pool halls. So this must be right. And, and that was very convincing to me moving forward. I, you know, again, I didn't realize that that doesn't line up with anything, but the way it's being portrayed, it seems like it does. Yeah. Then she, she like takes it steps further too, because she says, listen, this is how this makes sense. And there was, I don't remember the number, but it wasn't two, wasn't it? There was like, she had said there were, she gave an exact number for the number of pool halls that okay, there were yeah. on Edmonton Avenue. And she's like, so they're on Edmonton Avenue. There's this many pool halls and those pool halls, that's near the strip where Jay was. And then she's like, the strip on Edmonton is near Patapsco State Park. So that clears that up. And so that ties everything together on its face without even really thinking about it. It's like, mm-hmm. how does that tie together with Best Buy? Like, like what? Yeah. It was like, she's trying to explain away the, the trip to Patapsco State Park, why he would have told one story, to, which again, he's, he, it's, he didn't just say on the strip. He's very clear in that first interview that he is on Edmonton Avenue at a drug strip, standing on a corner, and he's arguing with Adnan and people. And also, he's very clear that it was after going, like, like to believe that those are tied together. The story to Chris that came later was that they were playing pool, and then they went outside, and he told him that. Like, like it doesn't jive anything, but like you said, she presented it in a way where you're like, oh, that's how that all makes yeah. sense. First of all, the Edmonton Avenue Strip is over here. Patapsco State Park is over here. They're nowhere near each other. And the pool halls on Edmonton Avenue are here. Like, they're not, they're not down there on the strip. Like, it's a different place. It, you know, there, maybe there is one over there. But she, like, takes the entirety of Edmonton Avenue and every strip that's on Edmonton. It's, it's just ridiculous. The Patapsco State Park thing is interesting to me because it keeps getting brought up. But it doesn't really feel like there's any actual evidence that they're ever over there besides Jay saying they smoked a joint there. Right? So that's interesting. But that's everything, right? The, the only evidence there anywhere is that Jay says they were there. Well, there, I mean, you, you do have some cell phone records, right? They can kind of, I guess, depending on how you read the cell phone evidence, can kind of place somebody somewhere. But So there's no cell phone evidence that puts them by Patapsco State Park, correct? No, and that's why that's such a big problem for him, because it's consistent in his story. It's always, and for us, like when we're, when we're doing statement analysis, we're, if we're trying to, like, if somebody's trying to tell the truth, what we're listening for, I don't want to hear what time something happened. Tell me what you experienced. What processes did you go through? And he's like, yeah, after I saw the body, we dropped the car off and then we drove to the cliffs at Patapsco and we sat down and we were, we were at, we were watching sunset while we were getting high. And mm-hmm. then I took him back to track practice. So there's like, there's no explaining that away. And that was her method of trying to explain it away because it's, it's clearly that did not, not happen on that day. My guess is wild guess. Because I feel like most lies are, are based in truth somewhere. There probably was a day where right after school, they took off and went out to Patapsco and they smoked a blunt and then he dropped Adnan at track practice. 
it just wasn't that day. It couldn't be that yeah. day. Yeah. So I, that's that's interesting to me. Just that it continues to get brought up over and over again, and it, there seems to be no no anchor to it at all. <laughs> yeah, there's not. I mean, the only anchor is Jay repeatedly saying that it happened. Hmm. Okay. It's interesting. All right. Well, if I come up with something else, I'll I'll chime in here. Okay. Great. Okay. Well, let's start with Amanda, because uh, you mentioned this same kind of quote from Jay, Zach, just a little bit ago. But Amanda says, when Jay says, what the fuck are you walking around with gloves on for, followed by, sorry, could he be apologizing for swearing? He's in the police station with someone of authority. As much as I agree, he's lying about all of it. Could he be apologizing for swearing instead of apologizing for getting off track? That was my first instinct when I heard it for the first time. I don't think so. I mean, he swears all the time. I mean, throughout these interviews and it becomes far more apparent. In the next episode, in his second interview, the I'm sorry's and the yeah's become far more apparent. So it, it seems like in this first one, where we get an absolute impossible story, everyone agrees is impossible. He's trying to put the story out himself. It seems my opinion is he's been given enough information to try to craft a story. He's just telling the story. There's only a few points where he's got some bullet points that he's missed or he has to come back to. But for the most part, he's trying to tell the story. And that's when you, t- it's when you tie the two together, right? So then you listen to the next episode that you'll, we'll be talking about next week. At this point, again, not my opinion. This is what they testified to. The police have presented him in the second interview with the cell phone records, and he's using, they're using those records to correct his story. As they, as they put it, he just, oh, his memory got better when he saw the cell phone records and he made some changes that better matched the cell phone records. And we have the document, the Jay's chronology document that they're working off of that they say didn't exist. They didn't put together until after the interview. But when he's going through that one, then you hear it constantly. I mean, dozens of times in that interview where he starts to say something and then you hear, and that's the episode where, you know, Susan Simpson heard the taps. You certainly hear the taps if you hear the audio, but then you can also hear it. You can, you can read it. You can read the problems where he reacts to something. He starts to say something. He stops, pause and goes, Oh, oops. Or, oh, sorry, or, oh, yeah, and goes back. So it's very clear he's reacting to something. So when you take that and then you compare those same instances in the first interview, you can see it's the same type of thing. He's reacting to something that they're doing and then changing the story to make that fit. But I, I don't think that it's from him swearing because he swears many times. I think they even, they're, even the cops are swearing. He's swearing. Everybody's swearing. Nobody's, nobody's worried about when they're talking about a murder about using the F word. But that being said, Amanda, I don't blame you for having that instinct, because, again, the reasonable thing would be for a person to be telling the truth and to apologize for cursing in front of police officers like that makes sense. But sadly, in this scenario, it actually makes less sense than the much more egregious, shocking stuff that's like, oh, my God, this is all part of this big, you know, manipulation. Yeah. And for sure, it's a it's a good thought. It's just that's just in my opinion. I don't think that's what's going on there. Right. Kathy says, I think on the other podcast, that they said that maybe Jay knew Hay because he sat next to her in biology. But Kathy's like, how does this work if she was a magnet student and he wasn't? Where did that piece of information come from? Because I didn't, I didn't listen to their podcast and I don't know if I've ever heard that. So I'm not sure where. I'm sure it came from somewhere, but I just am not familiar. Yeah, with I don't know. I think it might be something Jay said sometime. I, I, I couldn't tell you. There's so many other important lies to focus on. It's hard to you know dig into that one and find out. Maybe because Jay was a class ahead of them. So maybe because she was a magnet student, she was taking more advanced classes. And there was an overlap there because of that. I, I, I don't know. 
Hmm. Yeah, I was just about to ask about Jay's age because they do say in that episode a, a few times, or at least they're quoting Jay about being in class with them or something, but then he's not in school all day, so I, I didn't know exactly where his age fell compared to them. Yeah, he he uh, is a year older than them. He's okay. not in school anymore at this point. And how old is he when this questioning is happening? Just for... 19, I think. 19, 20? Yeah, I think he's 19. Laura says, in a normal situation, would it be standard for police to have had Jay take a polygraph if things were happening the way they claim they were? This episode also sparked the thought of why didn't police put a wire on Jay to get a non-talking about the murder? Is that something a good investigator would have done in this situation? The polygraph, I don't know. So we, we obviously have, they, they, they gave sellers a polygraph. It seems to me they did that in order to clear him. I don't know what their standard procedure was. You know, if they, if they gave sellers a polygraph, then it seems like they think that is supposed to be a tool that is useful. So maybe be good. But obviously, I think they knew that he was lying. So certainly they wouldn't want to give him a polygraph. But more evident of that is the follow up to that question, which is the wire. To me, the smart thing to do when you have this guy that's saying this other person did it in order to try to solidify your case, if it were me, yeah, I would have him call Adnan, have him wear a wire, anything like that. And in Maryland, they would have to have a warrant for that. It's, I believe it's a two-party state. But I certainly think based on his statement, that would be enough evidence to get the warrant to do that. And they didn't do that. So you can at least say this. Anytime there's a time where they could have taken a step that would have helped them prove what actually happened here, they didn't take it. So, like, could they have given Jay a polygraph? Yes, but they didn't. Could they have had Jay wear a wire or tap a phone call where he calls Adnan? They could have. They didn't. Could they have interviewed Nicole to see what that conversation really was and try to verify Jen's story? They could have. They didn't. Could they have interviewed Chris to do the same thing for Jay? They could have. They didn't. That's just one of the reasons of the many reasons why it seems that they knew, that Ritz and McGillivary knew that Jay was not telling them the truth. And so they didn't want to go out seeking. It doesn't make sense to me that they wouldn't take those steps to seal the deal, something to bolster their case. Any, any, any one of those things, if Jay was lying or Jen was lying or both, and they tried to verify their stories, then those would have backfired horribly and it would have ruined their case. So they either didn't do them or they did do them and we don't have them. Or you have to believe that they just didn't care for some reason. Remind me, did they speak to Jen's brother, Mark? I don't think they did. Don't quote me on that. I'll have to look that up. But I don't believe they spoke with Mark. But the person who um, was ostensibly also there playing video games with Jay that day when yeah, also, wait, one never, of the things he said happened. We never get an explanation as to why 15-year-old Mark is home all day on a school day either playing video games. Something tells me that's not going to be season 15, but okay. No. We're going to let that one slide. Yeah. So that's but, that's but, interesting that they never talked to Mark and they never and we they never talked to Jen's dad either, which and Jen's dad is the number on or the name on the phone number, correct? R right, yeah. Ne so neither that's, one that's of those. Interesting to me. And and the Mark thing is more cuz here's another element that you could have used to verify the story. Presumably, I don't know, but presumably Mark goes to school, but he's home during this day and they're playing video games. So another thing they could do to verify Jay's story is to go pull Mark Pusateri's attendance records and see, was he at school on the 13th of January? Because you know, what I would suspect, based on what I believe about this case, I think you might find 
oh, Mark Pusateri was was off on on Wednesday the twenty seventh or whatever mm. day. There's mm-hmm. there's the one day he was home. So like I said, most of the time, if somebody's creating a story, there's some ba- they're drawing on something, something that happened. And and I'm and by the way, I'm not saying that Jay just thinks that was the day, but just like what'd you do? Oh, I went and say, well, there was a day when I had the phone and I in the in the car and I went and hung out with Mark. So I say it was Mark. But that's another thing they could have verified, and they didn't. Oh, real quick in the chat, and I, and I, I I'm trusting the chat. I will try and verify this for the next week. But Caroline in the chat says that Jen said that she had dropped Mark off at school. Is that in her interview, Caroline? Because that creates another problem, right? Like like you see how the more you dig, when you as I've said from season one, when you're looking at a case and the prosecution gets a conviction. If you look closer, if they have the right person, as you put a microscope on the case and you look closer and you dig into little details and pull little threads in the case, the case should get stronger. You should look at look look at a more evidence closer and it's like, oh, yep, that solidifies it for me. When you pull that thread and everything starts to unravel like this, and Caroline says, yes, that's in her interview. She says he went to an alternative school, definitely could have been a half day. We don't know that, I assume, but it's on the January 27th transcript. So I'll, I'll double check that. But yeah, so you got Jen dropped him off. If Jen dropped him off to school, isn't it Jen's job to pick him up from school? I don't know. All very interesting. So Gretchen says a few things seem off to me. The first one she lists is what 17-year-old uses the term Jersey wall? Gretchen says she had to look up what that was. Wouldn't he use the term chain link fences? I got to be honest with you. I still don't know what a Jersey wall is. Is it a chain link fence? No, it, Tell me. No, it's not. It's a Jersey barrier or the big concrete so like barriers big concrete, you see on the highway. Yeah, stanchion kind of long-ish yeah, barriers. Yeah, there's, so there's, you know, it's, it's, you know, especially like they're doing like work on the interstate and they're right. dividing two lanes. They'll drop, they're all like eight feet long. Jersey and they just put a wall. Of them in. Oh, God, I don't know why they know call that it name Jersey to save wall. my life. Or they call it a Jersey barrier usually. Maybe I should call them Yeah. I've never heard of that, but it could just be vernacular from there too as well it's not just from there i i know it from uh firefighting world and you know working on accidents on the highway and stuff we always called them jersey barriers yeah because it was like to get a fire truck if there was like an accident on the southbound lane and you got to go north you would always be you have to go past the jersey barriers to where you can cut across to get back over to it okay huh and then uh, gretchen has a few different things but just in the interest of time and because we have um a few more comments from other folks um, I'm going to kind of cherry pick. I'm sorry about that, Gretchen. But uh, and then Gretchen also says, if Jen told the police where Hayes' car was, why isn't there evidence of them sending an officer out there right then to confirm her story? Like, wouldn't all of that be part of a process before they went to pick up Jay? Yeah. So Jen didn't. In Jen's interview, she said she didn't know anything about the car. They specifically asked her about the car, and she said. I don't know anything about the car. She didn't know about them moving the car. They didn't know about them dropping off the car. She didn't know there was another car. She didn't know anything about it. If there was a typo, and you mean, then why didn't they drop things when Jay said it? Then but didn't that's they a good say, question. even though it's not in her interview, I thought that they said, and Jen also had knowledge of where the car was. I thought they put in a report something that was oh, yeah, provably that. false. So if they're going to the trouble of saying like, oh, by the way, she knew where the car was, but they have provided zero evidence, not just within the interview itself, but like even offline, there's no evidence that they went anywhere with that information at all. Like, no. Yeah. And, and that, there, it's not even that vague. So in her interview, in the transcript that we can see what she actually said, she said she doesn't know anything about the car. Then when they wrote the report about that interview, it says Jen said the car was on Edgewood Avenue. 
Yeah. Like I had the, it, the block was wrong. Like it said like the 500 block and it was a 300 block or whatever it was, but it was like right there in that neighborhood. It says in the report that she said that, even though we know for a fact that she did go. not say that. Yeah. There you go. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Sue says, do I remember correctly that Bob and possibly Zach, she's not sure, went to the burial site at about 7 p.m. on about January 13th, a couple of years ago, and found it was so pitch dark there that Jay's story was absolutely impossible. She's been listening to old episodes, so a couple of years is relative. She's not sure. Yeah, so it was eight years ago. A uh, couple it was, years. It was, it was before Zach. I was during season one. It was not. So, I, yes, I've been to the burial site, and yes, I did an experiment to see how well you could see on a night with the exact same conditions as far as moonrise and all that stuff. But I, I did not go to the burial site on January 13th. So back during season one, I found that there's a little similar type park outside of the town of Buchanan, Michigan, a little, you know, the, the town there. And it's kind of like the same equidistance from where like the city lights and stuff are. It was just a night where I, I want to say it was more in the fall, but it was like the sunset time was mm-hmm. the same. Mm-hmm. It was like the sun was setting at like five o'clock. And the moonrise wasn't until like two in the morning. Those conditions were the same. So at around seven o'clock, I went out, parked my truck. I think I live streamed back on, do you remember Periscope? I think I live streamed on Periscope. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, I went out to see like, okay, can you see? Like you could see some, you know, some of the city lights coming. They're not too far away, but that like I got out and tried to like walk in the woods and it was like, it was so, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. You couldn't wow. see anything. But that was not at the graves. I did go to the burial site then later when I went out to Baltimore to check out some of these some of these places. But it, I did not go out there in the dark. Lori says, can someone remind me why after Adnan was arrested, his interview wasn't recorded? We have no record of their questioning of him, which seems super weird. No notes either. How is that possible? We know Jay's pre-interviews were not recorded, but doesn't seem like you could pass off Adnan's as a pre-interview since he was arrested at that point. I don't recall that he invoked a lawyer as I thought he was questioned for a long time and stuck to his innocence. But wouldn't they have to record that interaction? You would think, but they didn't. All, uh, the only thing we know about from that interview was from Adnan to his defense. He said that they kept telling him, we know about the red gloves. We know about the red gloves. Like that, I remember that. There was a couple of details that like, they were like trying to like get a confession out of him. But yeah, all we know is he maintained his innocence they said they didn't get anything out of him and from him he said there was that that's the one that sticks in my mind because a lot of people on the guilty side will see see adnan did know about the red gloves his guilty knowledge of the crime and again first of all there's no evidence anybody anybody's wearing any red gloves and what he was saying was they kept saying to him we know about the red gloves and we, you know as part of their you know we got you we know you did it type thing tony says not so much of a question but something to discuss what's the deal with the cliffs so they're driving around looking for somewhere to hide the body, and then they go to the cliffs to get high. So it's secluded enough to get high. They have a body in the car. 
So rather than tossing the body off a cliff, they go back to Jay's to get tools to go near a busy road, near a park, to take a body out of a trunk to dig a hole and bury it when they could have just tossed it off a cliff that they were already at. Am I wrong or is this not that kind of cliff? You're not wrong. The, the, the sequence is a little off. but So the, the, the sequence in Jay's story is he goes to the strip at Edmonton, then later Best Buy, sees the trunk pop. Then they drive over to the park and ride and they drop Hayes' car and body off. Then they're, they're not driving around looking for a place to bury the body. They just, they're like, hey, man, we should buy some weed and go out to the park. And then they go do that. And then they're sitting at the park. So they didn't, in his story, they didn't have Hayes' car and body with them when they were at the cliffs. However, if this story is real, I never really thought about it until you put this. If you're sitting out there in the secluded place of Patapsco State Park with a big cliff right there and you're smoking some weed, and then a couple hours later you're like, hey, we got to find a place to put the body, maybe you'd think, we should go back to that place we were smoking the weed. <laughs> and, and, and you know what I mean? Like that seems like something that would present rather than go to the, you know, into Leakin Park and dig a hole and do all of that. But uh, yeah, good question. Ugh. I just had one of those moments where that horrible feeling washed over me where I was like, we're snickering about something as we're talking about a poor person's body. No one is laughing about that. No one. Yeah, we're laughing no, because it's what you have to do because otherwise you throw up. So that's that's one of Tony's questions. Tony says, I guess the second question I remember is on the HBO doc that they refer to Jay saying her stockings were taupe. I think I spelled that right. For me personally, that was the number one clue that the cops fed him the info. No teenage boy would ever refer to a color of clothing as taupe. Uh, I, I wouldn't think so, but I think this has come up before. And I was like, th those are one of those things that, yeah, I mean, I agree. Like you pile all this stuff on and all of it just keeps pointing in the same direction. But that's not what, like, I can't hang my hat on that because like, I don't know, maybe, maybe Jay's an oil painter or, you know, does cross stitch with his mom. I don't know, whatever where taupe would come from but yeah, we, we we don't know for sure that he wouldn't know that and that wouldn't be part of his vernacular seems like a weird thing for a teenage boy to say or a teenage anyone to say but yeah i agree seems unlikely but who knows richard i know you're in the uh the chat right now live so if i read this wrong or if we need any clarification we might call on you for some some follow-up um this is a little bit long and i just want to make sure i don't say it wrong so richard says not really a question but a statement we can see that Jay didn't know where Hayes' car was from his interview. In his interview, he said he was familiar with where the strip was, which is where Edmondson and Franklin Town meet, where the trunk pop supposedly happened. Now, if he knew the location of Hayes' car, why would he tell the detectives that it was only four blocks away from the trunk pop location? The answer to me is pretty simple. The detectives told him it was four blocks off of Edmondson, and Jay just thought of a strip on Edmondson. There is something else. So I think that's that's the end of that thought. Yeah, I, I think, I think what he's sense? getting at, or at least what I get out of it is, yeah, in that first interview when he says that the trunk pop was on the strip in Edmondson Avenue, then he says it's it's like four blocks away from, and I don't remember him being that specific. Um, I just remember him saying that it was in the West Baltimore City, not in the county. But yeah, that becomes a bigger problem when the way he describes it as being so close to where they did the trunk pop, but then later the trunk pop happened all the way on the other side of town on on Best Buy. But yeah, I think I got what he was saying there. Okay, cool. I just want to make sure I didn't misrepresent that. Okay, there's something else in the interview that just caught my attention and which needs attention drawn to it. Jay said that he recognized Hay's car. When he was asked how he knew it was Hay's car, he replied that he had seen Hay drive it to and from school. The problem is that Hay didn't get a car until that school year and Jay had already graduated. So how would he know this? Was he 
watching her? Could Jay have told someone about Hay and what car she drove? Like, I guess yeah, I mean, maybe I, pulling him back into the pulling him back into the case more if he was knew more than he should have about it. Yeah, I mean, to I've me that still that, says the co- that yeah that he's just giving them answers they want. I don't know. Yeah, to me it just seems like a lie because yeah, yeah, people forget that not only there's that element, right? So Jay wasn't in school with Hay when she had that car. She only got the car in Oct- end of October, I believe it was end of October. But the other thing, a lot of the stuff that we talk about with you know, hey, always picking up her cousin and doing all that it was much of a newer thing than people realize. Hmm. She didn't have a car. She didn't have a license in a car until I, I know she didn't have a car until the end of October. Hmm. And so then you have like November, which one of those, you know, you've got a couple weeks of school and then you've got a, the Thanksgiving break in there. And then you go December, you've got three weeks of school and then you've got a two week break. And then you've got, I don't remember the date, somewhere around like January 5th, somewhere around there is when they go back to school. So it's only like one more week. There's only a total of, I think I added up at one point, but I want to say it's like, there's only a total of like seven weeks that she actually had a car hmm. while she was at school when she would have been like picking up her cousin and and, and stuff like that. So just something, no, that's a good, something that's, to think about. That's good to remember. Kim H says, tap, tap. Oh, I'm sorry. I remember listening with my headphones on to Undisclosed when Susan Simpson first spotted the taps. It was so blindingly obvious once you heard it that you really have to be being deliberately obtuse to deny it. As Upton Sinclair nearly said, it is difficult to get a man to understand something when his, then Kim inserted, ad revenue depends upon him not understanding it. Not understanding it. it. Yep, I, I agree. And we're going to get into that. I don't want to touch on it too much because we're going to get into the tap, tap, taps next week more. But yeah, I, I, I do like the reference there. Very good. Great. Carrie, I just want to acknowledge uh, you had some great questions as usual. I think they kind of fall into a future conversation category. And there's also you also left some uh, a bunch of great document links and stuff on the Facebook page. Bob has not had a chance to fully dig into it. It it is definitely around the conversation of the location of Hayes car. But something tells me we'll be talking about that again anyway, because it's such a big piece of this case. And we're we're not done talking yet on our future follow ups. So, So we'll put a pin in that. And we talked about it, to be honest with you, a little bit on the pre-show. But for those of you who don't listen, again, feel free to support us on Patreon. We'll circle back to everything. But if you are on Patreon, there's some fun kind of juicy stuff that we talk about in this this week's pre-show. So know that we are going to circle back to a lot of stuff, including that. Sue says, not exactly from this episode. So we're, we're sort of, I'm sort of pulling away now from the... Very, very specific J questions, but I did want to just slide this one in because I'm not sure where else it would belong. But mm-hmm. Sue says, not exactly from this episode, but do you think the phone call telling law enforcement to look at Adnan could have come from Hayes' brother? I, I have no idea. I, I mean, a lot of people have speculated a lot of different things about that, but we just don't have anything to go on, right? So they, they say it was a an Asian voice, and then I believe later, somewhere along the lines in the proceedings... That officer said that, that that he meant like East Asian, as though it could be like somebody who was like Pakistani. I, I have no idea. It, it, I'll just say this. Anything I say would just be speculation completely on my part. Okay. I don't think that Hayes, it would be Hayes' brother because Hayes' brother was in communication with the police. And I think he would have just called them and say, hey, look at her boyfriend. You know, look at her ex-boyfriend. I don't think he would have made an anonymous call. Okay. Finally, Carla says, were the red fibers ever analyzed to determine what kind of material they actually came from? Carpet, towels, car floor mats, etc. 
And do we still have any of those red fibers? I don't think they were ever sourced to any any particular thing. I feel like I remember there was there was some analysis done and determined that they didn't match each other, like they didn't come from the same thing. Maybe I'm maybe I'm blending two cases together when I'm thinking about that, but hmm. there's never been anything definitive about the glove. And that's fiber analysis too. Like that's in a lot of ways that's become kind of junk science. Like you can kind of hmm. you know make something out of nothing with that. I mean, but what we do know is those fibers weren't matched to some pair of gloves that Adnan owns. Right, right. There's never been any evidence that he owned a pair. Of, like, none of that stuff's ever been proven. To me, the more interesting part about it is, is the hairs that were found mm-hmm. in the body that, that didn't match. That That's where I want the DNA testing done. There's there's hair from somebody on her body in that grave that we know wasn't Adnan's. We know it wasn't Hayes. We know it wasn't Jay's. And now the technology would allow us, even without the root, to do DNA testing on it. So that that, to me, is where all of my attention is at. Got it. And I just want to acknowledge folks that are, um, I totally get it. You're so excited about the Patreon place that we are at with the 13 and 14 parts that have been rolling in and you have questions and they're burning questions and you're sliding them in to these follow-ups, but I just am not addressing them. And that is because we can't do it yet. So I'm seeing them. I appreciate them. Uh, Carla, I know there was a second part to the question that I just asked for you that I'm not asking for, I think, reasons you probably understand yourself, Carla. But um, just know that that is I'm not meaning to be a jerk and not ask any of the questions, but you know, I can't ask any of those questions about upcoming ones. That's not what (laughs) this follow up is. I can't. Don't at me. We'll get to him. We'll get we'll get to him. We will get to them. Also want to acknowledge, this may not make it in, there's been a lively series of chats happening in our live right now with our YouTube folks about the color taupe and stockings and legs, L-E-G-G-S, things that come in those little egg shapes. Lively. So you never know what thing is going to strike up a, a fevered conversation in the live, but I love that this week it's about taupe stockings. So The funny thing is, going back to that, now that I think about it, when people start talking, it's because somebody said maybe his grandma or his mom had him go down to the to the store and buy you know legs size b in taupe truthfully that's not out of the question because yeah. i remember running into into our local grocery store for my i can still tell you i don't remember the size but i remember having her having me grab in the store legs size whatever in nude i believe yeah. the color she wore was nude mm-hmm. um so if i knew nude is a color of stockings there's no reason jay couldn't know the taupe was that's a true. color of stockings that's yep. absolutely true absolutely true so that is all we have for this week. Great episode, everyone, except we lost Zach. Stop telling him I was supposed to fix that. Fine, fine. We're just going to – you guys are all going to know because I'm just not going to make this that hard of an edit for Brandon. So we're going to leave it in, and I'm going to say thank you, everybody, for all of your support. Thanks for joining us. It's been a really long day for all of us. <laughs> it's late, and Zach is gone, but uh, – I, I love you guys. Thank you all so much for everywhere you support us, which is downloading the episode, watching us on YouTube, participating in the chats, and, and joining us on Patreon. We appreciate all of it. Uh, and make sure you tune in for episode nine, for part 9.5 for the main feed on Sunday. And for you patrons, you're going to get a special audio and video of our panel from ObsessFest. And with that, we will talk to you, at least Zach and I will, next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye, guys. Here's what I just learned. You think Zach sounds exactly like you, except he has a little bit of a more sibilant S. That's what I learned. I learned that you think that Zach says, bye, guys. Bye, guys. 
I don't know what the fuck just happened. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production. All music for the show is created and composed by Shane Yoder at PutThemInASong.com. The font you see on all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com Design Created manages and maintains our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our volunteer transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Courtney Wimberly, Erica Cantor, Melissa Cardenas, Kaywood Yomnik, and Danielle Rohr. And as always, thank you to all of you for your engagement and your support. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that in a number of ways. The number one way for you to support our work is to become a patron at patreon.com slash truthandjustice. If you join our Patreon, not only will you be financially supporting our work, but you'll also get something for your pledge. For just $5 per month, you'll get all episodes ad-free and also a video version of the Friday follow-ups that include an hour-long pre-show chat exclusive to our patrons. Other levels will get you a Truth and Justice Army t-shirt, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host a Friday follow-up episode. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice to sign up. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. It doesn't cost you a penny, and it goes a long way towards making the show more visible. If you have a case that you'd like us to consider covering, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram, or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Barney, and Zach is at Z to the Q. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. Uh, Zach, is the battery pulled out of that smoke detector behind your head? Yeah. God damn it. Change your battery and your smoke detector. So it stopped beeping. Firefighter. Fire it's chief. beeping for a reason. <laughs> Tell you to change the fucking battery. Doesn't uh. beep anymore. <laughs> Shit. Oh, no. <laughs>